Rob Shank here. You're listening to Shank Talks Bunhofer, a podcast all about the life, times, and interests of that brave, young German Lutheran pastor who dared to speak out against Adolf Hitler and the rise of National Socialism. He would do more than speak. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're familiar enough with Bonhoeffer to know that he would not speak without acting. And so he did. And it would eventually cost him his life at age 39, but not before leaving us an enormous body of material on moral theology and on ethics. And today we're going to talk with my guest, Abe Bonowitz who is co-director of Death Penalty Action, and more importantly, quickly becoming a new friend. And I value that very much, Abe. Welcome to Thank the you, podcast. Thank you, and I, I value that as well. Well, we're in good company with each other out on the road. That's why the sound is a little hollow. I'm always in search of a studio-like sound, and you just can't find it when you're on a road trip. And you and I are in Iowa, northwest Iowa right now uh, talking in the context of the upcoming elections about all of these things, but you carry with you a very serious subject matter, very serious indeed, and that is the whole ethical question surrounding the death penalty. How do you approach it philosophically? Uh, well, philosophically, I look at the death penalty as something that a lot of people just don't understand. Uh, as I didn't understand it um, until I tried to prove to the anti-death penalty people that, that they were wrong. I found out everything I believed about the death penalty, the truth, was the opposite. And, and So what, you didn't always hold the opinion, the position on it that you do now? Well, no, I, I was ready to pull the switch. I said, this is the United States. We have the best justice system in the world. If that includes the death penalty, fine with me. I'll pull the switch myself. And I thought that earnestly, um, not having given it deep thought. And I think that's really where, you know, where part of my role is just spurring people to thinking about it and to studying it a little bit and understanding what are the ethics, what are the morals, uh, do they, does how the system actually function meet my own sense of morality and fairness. And for me, I mean, that's, that's what made me jump from one side of the fence to the other was the recognition of what matters more than the severity of the crime is location. Money, race, politics, and especially geography. The geography of county lines determines who faces an, a death penalty and who gets it uh, because you have to kill on a county that can afford a death penalty trial. And if they can't afford a death penalty trial, it's not possible. So, you know, when you see the words that are carved into the face of the United States Supreme Court building, you know, this is the bedrock foundation of our legal system, the four words, equal justice under law. And if you, if you value that statement and that, that, that very lofty goal in a place like the United States, um, we, we don't have that. And, you know, if the law is going to allow for execution and yet we don't have equal justice about that, then you know, we have to stand up and say this is wrong and stop it. What induced you to examine this question? I mean, you said you were, you know, 
uh, a booster of, uh, you know, the old line that if, if the death penalty is called for, so be it. Uh, and then something induced you to look differently at it. What was it? What well, happened? Well, you know, I think this is one of those, you know, thinking about it here, talking with you and having been with you for a couple of days now, and, and you know, it, it's abundantly clear to me that God works in mysterious ways. And, you know, I didn't, I, I'm not touched by this issue personally, and I thank God for that. Um, I bumped into this. I went to a meeting of a group on the campus of Ohio State University, and the speaker happened to be talking about the death penalty, and that poked me, and and I challenged her, and then I challenged that group, and I challenged myself to figure it out, and it was learning about that especially for me, that county disparity and realizing that we're not applying the death penalty in a fair and equal way. And if we can't do that, then it really doesn't matter how bad your crime is. What matters is, are we getting everybody that should be punished in the same equal way? So, you know, that sort of was the thinking. Now, it was the simple facts of the disparity in how we carry out our legal system and how we carry out this particular punishment, that's what changed my mind. And initially it challenged my mind and I, I started saying, hey, if we could make it fair and equal, okay. But until then, that's what we have to work towards. Then I got involved with a group called the Journey of Hope from Violence to Healing, which is led by murder victim family members and joined by the families of people on death row and the families of the executed who they consider to be murder victim family members. So um, let's make it clear, you're talking about people who have lost some a family member, uh, or rather, a family member. Uh, has been murdered. Has been murdered. Yes, and they are survivors of homicide victims. You know, so... so it was meeting those people and other people who are what I like to call the collateral damage of the death penalty um, that changed my heart. Because I can't, began to see that, you know, especially for murder victim family members, when we asked them to put their healing process on hold for decades while the person who's convicted of the murder of their loved one goes through the legal process and the appeals, and maybe ends up with an execution or dying on death row before they get to that point, maybe. Um, we're asking murder victim family members to put their healing process on hold and wait. And I began to understand that actually the blessing that's available to people is that there's not a death sentence in the case. Not having anything to do with the killer and what that person may deserve, but with how do we help victim family members survive and move beyond? You know, there's, there's no getting your loved one back. There's always going to be that empty chair at the table when people gather for the holidays. But you don't have to hang your hat on, I can't move forward until this guy is dead. You know, we believe in accountability. And we can and we do hold the vast majority of murderers accountable and hold ourselves safe from them through incarceration. That's what not, more than 98% of all the killers who are death eligible end up with a sentence of long-term incarceration, if not throw away the key. You know, so those are other ethical issues we could talk about. Um, there are some people who should, sure. as they presently exist, should never be free. But I also hold out the idea of the potential for redemption. And here I'd like to pause just for a minute because of something you said to me in an off-mic uh -huh. uh, conversation about this. And... You talked about 
motives for either not supporting, uh, excuse me, either uh, maybe not supporting reform or supporting the death penalty. And, and you said something about vengeance mm -hmm. as compared to, I remember it as redemption. I'm not sure you used that word in our discussion, but my, my the way I remember your comment, it framed the difference between vengeance and redemption, or at least the hope of redemption change in a person. And that if you support the death penalty, you're really taking that off the table. The, yeah, so, uh, there's you know, no opportunity for a person to change. Yeah, and, and it's a struggle, especially when, when we're doing any kind of um, change work within trying to change the system, trying to change how government acts, trying to change society. There's a, a, a balance that you have to strike with the people who aren't there yet especially the people that are in power or their constituents right? yes and that's where it's you know it's hard to have some of these conversations uh, but I think that you know especially if we're talking about Christians or people that are people of faith that have a value of forgiveness and a value of of the idea of redemption you know you can be redeemed and you can be forgiven uh, and, and and not necessarily be freed right? Uh, but I will say that there are some people who have done their time and are, could be released and be valuable members of society again and not hurt anybody again. Um, and we've seen that. You know, in 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down all the death penalty laws in the country, and that changed anybody that was on death row. It changed their, their sentence to whatever the maximum was. And at that time, the way they did life without parole was just give you, you know, multiple sentences to run, um, not concurrently, but uh, uh, successively. And, uh, you know, it, one of those people was a guy named Rudy Alexander. Uh, he was on death row for a murder he committed as a juvenile offender in Georgia. Furman versus Georgia happened and his death sentence was changed. He ended up pulling himself up a fully tenured professor of criminology at Ohio State University teaching our children. And this is a guy who should have been executed, right? So, so I give this example as just one of many where there's space for moving forward. And we're not always the worst thing that we ever did. And most murders you know, really weren't planned and the person even is abhorred at what they've done themselves and would do anything to take that back. And if anyone listening is thinking, yes, but that's exceedingly rare, it's the exceedingly rare exception to the rule, and that's likely, not, you know, not going to happen. I want to take at least my Christian listeners to the Apostle Paul, to St. Paul, who, given the current structure of both U.S. and global law, international law, should have been tried for crimes against humanity and executed. So we might ask the question, had that been the course, we would not have half of the New Testament. We would not have one of the great apostolic uh, progenitors of the Christian church and mission. He would have been on death row 
and gone, and there would have been no opportunity for for Saul of Tarsus to become the Saint Paul that we know in the New Testament. So just sit with those things and think about them. And in your own work, uh, maybe we can shift to how this actually expresses itself in action. Uh, these are lofty human ideals. Mm-hmm. They're very important moral principles. This is the consonant question of human ethics because it has to do with human life. How does that work out practically? What 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 is the program? Sure. For well, uh, death penalty action. So, so things have you know just a little bit of context. Things have shifted over the last few decades. I've actually I've been doing work like this that for. Uh, almost 30 years or about 30 years I can't even remember exactly when it was that I started but the world is different now you know in the 19 late 1990s we were having 100 executions a a, a year almost the, the top we topped out at 98 executions in one year and now we're at fewer than consistently fewer than 30 executions a year uh, and, and we're also at, at record you know, consistent low numbers of not only executions, but new death sentences and even capital indictments. It's very rare these days. Um, and and we've also, we've abolished the death penalty legislatively in 2007 in New Jersey, 2009 in New Mexico, 2011 in Illinois, 2012 in Connecticut, 13 in, in Maryland, 15 in New Hampshire, although that one was reversed by a referendum. And then this past year, 2019 in, uh, did I say New Hampshire, Nebraska was the one that it was reversed in 2015, but in, in 2019, uh, New Hampshire uh, abolished the death penalty. Plus, several other states, the courts have thrown it out: New York, Washington, and Delaware. So we, and, and then if you look at where the death penalty is being used, there's more than there's 32 states that have not had an execution at all within the last 10 years. Okay, and then the, where we do have executions is just a handful of states, and typically Texas, of course, and then Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma hasn't had one in a few years, but Tennessee's on a bit of a spree, uh, and then you get one or two here and there. Um, but it's rare, it's very rare. And you know, so, so my work is when there is an execution coming, we lift up what's happening in that case. Why this one and not a dozen other people who did very similar things. Why is it happening in this state? Uh, and, and we point, you know, pull this, this stuff out. For example, in Tennessee, in, in large part, it's happening because you know, people have ended their appeals, but suddenly there's a clamor by certain people in government, you know, we need to do this, and they move it forward. Uh, and, and, uh, and why? This gets to a, a critically important ethical question. Mm-hmm. Why do politicians push for the execution of uh, of the death penalty? Yeah. I mean, they, well, they want it enforced. Why? So for some, it's um, they think that that's their job. And of course, the law says, you know, when this happens, it's time to set a date, etc. But, you know, different leaders and statesmen have chosen to you know, put it in the desk drawer, not let it move forward. Um, we saw that, for example, you know, we, we knew we didn't have a federal execution between George Bush and, and, and President Trump. And suddenly 
we're trying to have executions and they're trying to really run it fast as opposed to going through the process and uh, maybe pause here just to explain a lot of folks don't know that that there is a federal death penalty yes. the, the federal government can uh, enforce a death penalty and then states of course usually right. I think of it as a state issue and I have to remind myself because federal uh yeah, the federal death warrants were yeah. in suspension for a long time um yeah the federal government has it the military has it and then 29 states still have the death penalty on the books but only a handful actually use it and when i say they try to move it fast in terms of the federal executions um the one of the big quandaries that we have is how do we ex how do we actually execute our prisoners and they're using drugs lethal injections to try to medicalize it and theoretically make it easier on the people that have to carry it out although it turns out that's harder which, which other is ethical another issue. question yeah, and, yeah. and i don't want to i don't want to leave that uh, out of our conversation here i want to get to the executioners yeah and well, the impact on them but please well, i don't want to interrupt know, what you're saying we could now. probably do three hours at this and um but, but so that's but because the pharmaceutical companies don't want their drugs, which are about therapy and healing, to be used for killing, they've made it harder to get. And they've made some drugs completely unavailable, which has made uh, complications in, in the processes. And, and, and it's quite possible to do it. But in the federal paradigm, yeah, there's a, uh, there are processes that are in place that must be followed in order to change parts of the federal regulations and, and the attorney general did not follow those even though he knows them because he's used them before um, he didn't in this case and that's what hung up the federal executions that were scheduled for uh, this month and last month December 2019 um, so all of that is to say that, that you know and, and and there are more primitive methods oh, still in got place. Plenty of rope. We got plenty of bullets. I mean, yeah. hanging is still uh, in using the laws now. What, what, what's, in what's some places, it, it, does it not exist yeah. as an option? But I, I don't believe so. Okay, because Delaware was the only state that was still using hanging, and they have gotten rid of their death penalty. Well, the courts threw it out, and the legislature hasn't brought it back. Although there are some who'd like to. But that was on the books until when? I don't know the year, but not too long ago. Yeah, and, fairly and, and recently. We, we hung somebody, uh, you know, within the last fifteen to twenty years. Okay, the the last but the electric chair execution, oh, yeah. uh, electrocution, and uh, firing squad or being yeah. shot to death yes. is still on the books in some states. Well, you right? talk got rid of it. They're talking about bringing it back. I think I'm not exactly sure where that conversation is, but the last firing squad execution was uh, the brother of a friend of mine. Um, Ronnie, Gar Ronnie Lee Gardner was executed by firing squad. His brother is Randy, and, and Randy is somebody that I do a lot of work with around the country because uh, he shares the trauma that that visited on him and his family, as well as what led his brother to a path of crime, which is also an issue that, um, that we always should be looking at. How did somebody get there? How did they fall through the cracks of society that, that you know, where somebody could have seen that kid's going down the wrong path and intervened and somehow didn't? So, um, but really what's the best example is what's happening in Tennessee right now, which is a state that did, still has its electric chair and prisoners who were sentenced to death 
while the electric chair was the only option, can choose whether to be electrocuted or have lethal injection. And most of them now are choosing electrocution because what we now know about lethal injection is, you know, the first thing they try to do is paralyze you or make it harder to see what's happening. But then, you know, at least when they're using this drug called midazolam, it's actually the death, the cause of death is pulmonary edema, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, it, 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 which basically is your lungs filling up with fluid. And we hear the prisoners gasping and wheezing and coughing and see a little bit of struggling. And that's because they're drowning. They're, they're being waterboarded to death, essentially. They're drowning. Yes. And um, so prisoners have come to see that and recognize it and rather go quickly. Yeah, but the real torture of the death penalty isn't how we kill our prisoners. It's the weight. It's forcing them to confront the fact that they're about to be taken out or they're going to be taken out on some, at some date and time in the future and killed. But meanwhile, they're in a box no bigger than this room, really, which is about 10 by 10, you know, for most of their time. And, you know, that's a, again, we, we deserve to be safe from dangerous offenders and we deserve to, and, and we, and people should be held accountable for their actions. The question is, do we need to do it with the death penalty? And is that ethical? And I argue that it's not. So uh, before, there's never enough time to treat such a weighty subject in a podcast. Okay. And I'll ask you, to give our folks some recommended reading and sources, sure. maybe your own site and so on. But before we do that, let's just touch on the people on the other side of the equation here, mm -hmm. the executioners. Sure. And by the way, you did ask earlier, and it's e so easy to get sidetracked. What's the what's the the, the, the program? Our program. Yes. Our we're not lawyers. Our work is the visibility piece of it. So we do the marches and the protests and and, and the because organizing. Why? What, 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 what do you hope will result by raising the visibility of the condemned uh, and the act of execution? What, uh, what do you hope will come out of that? We most of the time do not put the, we're not putting the face on, of a prisoner out there. We're putting the fact that the state is killing in all of our names and we're saying there's opposition to that. And, we're, and what we're doing is, con is connecting with- The act of state killing. In yes. this instance, exactly. I mean, that's like the banner that we, the well, we we, well, we have a banner that says "Stop State Killing." We have other banners that have different messages, but at the end of the day, it's the fact that there's many, many people in this country that oppose the death penalty, and we want to give them a space, or, you know, a connection that oh, I'm not alone in what I think, and here's a way that I can take action and I can find these people. Uh, I go to deathpenaltyaction.org and and. You know, get and sign the petitions and find out where the next Give it to us again. Deathpenaltyaction.org. Deathpenaltyaction.org. I yeah. really encourage you to go there. I've, I've been hearing this firsthand from, uh, you know, the man himself, but um, I want to learn more, and especially because pastors ask me about this mm -hmm. a lot. What do you think of the death penalty? I'm bothered by it. I just, not long ago, had the pastor of a mega church evangelical in Arkansas mm -hmm. who said I've been I've been thinking this through I've been praying I've been mulling it over I've been very deeply bothered by it and I, I just don't think I'm comfortable my people support the death penalty overwhelmingly 
but I can no longer support it as as a Christian, as a shepherd of souls, as someone who believes in redemption, I can't support it anymore. So I'm asked about it a lot. So Abe, thank you. You're you're helping me sure. to be better equipped to respond to them, and I'll be pointing them in the same direction. But I still want to get back to those those other individuals sure. who are forgotten. It, these these um, the condemned prisoner is not killed by a machine. A computer doesn't execute them. Human beings do. That's right. What about those human beings? Those human beings are damaged people too. And, and, it, and really, it's sort of appalling to think about it. There is a state um, uh, practice that asks human beings, state workers, to take on the burden of executing a defenseless person. Okay, they may not be innocent, but they're defenseless. And you know, I like to compare this to to you know war or you know the police coming across a bank robbery or something. You're shooting at the enemy or the criminal, and they're shooting at you. Fair game, whatever happens, right? But once you capture them and you disarm them, then you're obligated, especially in war, you're obligated to protect and to take care of your prisoner, right? And and you cannot harm him or her. That's theoretically the rules and we would certainly expect that of any nation uh, you know with which we were at war and captured, if they our, captured our prisoners we expect and demand that they treat them properly That's right. and preserve their lives and their health and our we soldiers that. our soldiers are trained in this whether you know there's always things that go beyond what's expected but but our training is we've got to follow the rules right so in this case we upset that completely uh, yes we because it's 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 one thing if you're fighting somebody and they're fighting back but when you have no when you're taking a person who is you know healthy and could live for another 20 years or whatever and and we're going to kill them so that weighs on a person's psyche and especially if you're the person that's doing it and you're just following the law. Wherever you heard that, right? We're just following the law. Um, so I like to especially talk about my friend Ron McAndrew, who carried out the last three electric chair executions in Florida. Um, Ron is a red hat wearing Donald Trump supporter. He's got pictures of him with Jeb Bush, George Bush, all that on the walls of his house, which I've been to visit. Very he's conservative a, guy. He's a very conservative guy. He's a really very deeply devout Catholic. And, um, and, and he will speak out to anybody about how the death penalty is a bad public policy and why, and how we can be safe in prisons, and why killings that happen in prison are a result of bad prison management, not enough resources in the prison, as opposed to criminals getting running amok, right? But I say all that to, to preface the, the fact that Ron McAndrew is one of those who shares the suffering that he has. The men he executed visit him in his dreams. And he, and, and that, that's, I think, on the far end of the spectrum. I mean, you got Frank Thompson, who executed two people in, in Oregon, or my friend Terry Collins, who's passed away recently, but he was the, um, he executed 33 people in Ohio. And upon his retirement, joined our movement and was traveling around the state of Ohio and the, and the country, sharing how, as a prison manager, 
the death penalty fails us. It doesn't keep us any safer. He, how concerned he was that he was walking the prisons, uh, the halls of dozens of prisons in Ohio and seeing people who did things far worse than those who were on death row. And how concerned he was that, again, what matters more is what county did you kill? And that matters more than anything else. You know, so again, if we have an ethic of fairness, then, you know, if we're not going to kill them all, then how are we picking who we're going to kill? And if we're picking them because of race and money and politics and the geography of county lines, that's not fair. And this is a question we all have to sit with ourselves, all yeah. of these questions, because even in examining, you know, my own conscience, mm -hmm. there are plenty of times when I'm so outraged, so appalled, so repulsed by a, a violent, you know, act, we, a we murder. This all the time. That my human instinct is vengeful. Uh, Let's get rid of this person. They yeah. deserve it. What, what? It's not the way it works out. And, and it implicates a whole lot of things about your own heart, particularly as a Christian. And I'm going to remind our folks, the scripture is quite explicit here. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. I could go into a whole sermon on that. Why does God uh, reserve revenge for himself? Because only God is omniscient. We know very little, we often get it wrong, we act out of our own self-interest rather than the interest of others, including of society, as you're indicating here. So these are just enormous questions. I'm sorry that we've run out of time on this podcast, but I am going to encourage people to go to your website, give it to us again, yeah, it, and what will they find there? Well, it's deathpenaltyaction.org, and our focus is the action. If you want to know more about it, we've got a link there to the Death Penalty Information Center, which is, you know, we figured, why should we keep up all the statistics when there's somebody else who does it and does it really, really well? So the best place for the details on the death penalty, whether it's federal or state by state or what's happening in the news and all that, is going to be deathpenaltyinfo.org. Our webpage is deathpenaltyaction.org. Well, and, and of course, we know Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a man of action. Mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer really thought, you know, uh, dealing with... Uh, you know, something theoretically or academically is of no use unless you plan to be responsible by taking action. Mm -hmm. And that was the big deal with Bonhoeffer. The other thing I'm going to remind our folks is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. Yeah. Now, do, do we have another minute or two? Because yeah. sure. you had, right, the other day when we were speaking, you, 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 you know, said, but what about, you know, Bonhoeffer participated in an attempted assassination? Right. And At I, least tangentially, yes. Yeah. So, but you know, he saw this is, this is. There's no other answer than to try to take this guy out, right? Hitler, right? Correct. And um, you know, I'm not a pacifist. I've got veterans on my board of advisors. You know, we're not nappy pampy lefty liberals. All of us. Some of us are, but but not all of us. And and um, and I've been registered as a Republican. In, in the past, um, the uh, but at the end of the day, you know, if you see somebody shooting and you get whatever it takes to stop them, that's what you do. That's different from once you've captured a prisoner, a person made them a prisoner, they can no longer harm anybody because we don't have to kill. It's one thing if there's no other choice, 
but we don't have to. Which was precisely Bonhoeffer's point. He used the term in extremis. There was no other option available. So a point very well taken there. And boy, I'm sitting with it. The idea that not only is the, the prisoner now disarmed and in control and restricted, but I would love to ask you this, we just don't have the time to explore it, but I would imagine that for many, they are compliant with every order, including mm-hmm. putting their own body in a situation where they're about to be it is, killed. It they is com- rare that and we expect them to comply. Yeah, it, well, it's rare that prisoners don't comply in the process of their execution. In fact, you know, really, it's a release. One of the common refrains that I hear from death row ministers is, you know, they're so tired. He's finally over this. ready to be gone. And, you know, and again, that's another reason. If you're a hardcore, I want to punish this person kind of mentality, if that's your mentality, then, you know, throwing away the key, death by incarceration is actually worse. Than life and pr- than than execution. Well, I always like to leave a conversation like this in the context of our dear Bonhoeffer, and of course he was uh, tried in a martial court according to the law, and a lawful order was given to execute him, and so he was hanged by the state at age thirty-nine. I want to leave that in this context and ask our podcast family to contemplate that to prayerfully reflect on that fact and had germany or the court martial not had that as an option or didn't give it and we had bonhoeffer for another 30 40 who knows how many years 50 years uh what what richer storehouse would we have from him? This has been a really important conversation, Abe. I really appreciate having it with you and sharing it with our folks. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And, and uh, uh, I wouldn't ask you to do something I'm not prepared to do myself. But I would really like to ask our podcast family to support Abe Bonowitz in his good work. Thank you. I know he spends more time doing his work than fundraising. Uh, Neither of us like that part of our jobs, but it's necessary. And if you would be generous and do something above and beyond uh, for death penalty action and do it for my friend Abe, I would really appreciate it. So go to deathpenaltyaction.org. Correct. And and, and you'll find out more about what Abe's up to and what's behind it. And it's all good work. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for having this conversation. Maybe we can do a part two down the road sometime. And And even a part three or part four. Hey, uh, podcast family, let me know. If you'd like to hear more, let me know, and Abe and I will find a way to do it. Thanks, Abe. Thank you.